But today we're going to be talking about faith and we're going to be talking about the commanding truths of the faith. So, and uh, just so you know, the mind of madness, the hope is that over the next number of months, we're going to be just speaking through the gifts, or sorry, the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. Um, we, we need more time in our lives devoted to awesome things and less characteristics that may be a level of hell um, in Dante's Inferno. Um, that was a little highbrow joke, but whatever. So let's read through the fruits of the Spirit. But let's this time, let's read about the works of the flesh too. So God says that we're in this time where there's the flesh that's in operation and there's also the Spirit that's been sent on the day of Pentecost. And so here are some descriptions. And what you're supposed to do when you read this list and you read the first half, you're not supposed to say to yourself, yeah, those evil people in that first list. You're supposed to humbly go, Oh boy, Lord, where I'm in the first list, or the, there's too much first list in me, set me free. And then where there's not enough second list in me, Holy Spirit, fill me up. That's how you're supposed to read this. We're not supposed to get arrogant when you read the Word of God. You know you're doing it wrong if you read God's Word and you get proud. All right. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, which means living for uh, making the, the chemical storm go off in your brain, the happy juices, just living to make the happy juices flow, that's a work of the flesh. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, that means having enemies, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries. I'm sure that the banjo bowl is excluded from this list as long as you don't take it too seriously. But there is a line that you go over and you've lost your salvation. (laughs) I don't know if I mean that. (laughs) Dissensions, divisions, that's where we, we, Steinbeck, we need to watch out for that one. Envy, we, Steinbeck, need to watch out for that one. Drunkenness, we, Steinbeck, need to watch out for that one. Orgies, I don't know, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And everyone who's in Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh so that they can live in the Spirit. Amen? And we're looking at faith. We're going to start here. Even though it doesn't start the list, I think logically it starts your walk with Christ. So it's a great place to start. And if you remember... Oh, oh, hold on a sec. Here. Let's go back here. Before we get to the Greek word again... A nice little description from the week. You may have seen this news story here. A good little just physical illustration of the time we're in. There's this city in Portugal. Portugal. I don't even know I made that up. I don't know if you pronounce it like that. Portugal. I think it's called Lavira. And um, there was a winery there. And one of their, I think it was two or 20 million liter tanks burst. And all the wine just went down the road. And if you Google it, you can actually see uh, footage of it. But, you know, speaking, Tony, of the river, you know, this is the age we're in. You've just got this city, it's got some brick buildings, it's got a car, 
And then, strangely, there is this river of wine just running down the road. Odd that. Not normal. And it's a nice little picture of our time. We live in a time where there's so much normal. Fighting's normal. War's normal. Breakup's normal. Hating's normal. Selfishness is normal. Um, living for chemicals, normal. Normal, normal, normal. And right down the road, there is a river of the Holy Spirit flowing. And you can get in or not. But it's here. It's flowing. And we as the people of God are meant to have all our clothes stained red from getting into the river of the Holy Spirit because this is the age to come. The age of the flesh is on its way out. Its best before date is well past now. It's the milk that's not only gone sour, but it's curdled and the container is flexing outward and, and you know any day, kaplum. So it's well past its due date and the age of the Spirit is going to last forever. If you're in the Spirit, you've already started eternal life. You might have a funeral, you might not, but you are going to live forever because you already are living forever because you're in the Spirit of life. And the Spirit of life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we're looking at the faith part. We're looking at this Greek word pistis. Everybody who's studying a little Greek right now, put up your hand. Anybody? Somebody? Really? Okay, thanks. Good. I, I made you. You make it sound like all my love depended on whether or not you knew how to conjugate your verbs, which it did. And we're looking at this word pistis, which is the Greek word that we translate into faith, and there are kind of three major definitions of it. There is Faith as in trust and heart confidence. And that's what we talked about last week. And our whole lives are about trusting the man, Jesus. When you wonder, what does faith mean? What do you, you're saved by faith. What does this faith mean? It means in your heart, you trust Jesus raised from the dead. And you're not trusting a dead guy. We believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead after he, came, after he was crucified for sin. This is the core of the Christian faith. But we don't just say it like we're telling the weather or we're just stating facts. We trust this man to be our God. This is what we mean by faith as in heart confidence. Going to number three, there's also an uh, a expression of pistis which means faithfulness or trustworthiness. This is where... You're a faithful person, or you're, you're treating people right. You're, you're, you're keeping your marriage vows. You're staying under the speed limit. You're not texting people while you're driving, which I see all the time. Brothers and sisters, it is like a life-altering ticket if you get caught doing that. Faithfulness, you're taking care of the people around you in ways God wants you to. You're staying loyal to Jesus in your heart and in your life. And today we're looking at number two, which is pistis, where it means the faith, as in doctrine, or commanding truths, real reality that you have to respond to. Boom! I just feel like saying boom. Boom! Real reality that you have to respond to. And so in Timothy here, I just, one verse to quote, 1 Timothy 4, 6 says, Paul is writing to Timothy, who he's training. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So the faith and good doctrine are the same things. These are the truths of Christ that control what we think and what we do. 
and that we ignore to our peril. That's what the faith is. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Thank you. So we're going to read a story and then we'll talk about it. Good. So we're going to read a story about Jesus, and I just encourage you to be in the Gospels. Um, our faith is in Jesus, so be reading the Gospels and just, just be there to learn about Jesus, figure out how he thinks, figure out why he responds to things the way he does, and to be there to love him. Um, true fact, Robert Belfort, off the charts, Jesus fanboy. Just, it's true. I, I, I was telling somebody this week, it's like, I love Jesus. And it turns out he's also God. And that he saves you. But like, even if he weren't, he would still be my absolute favorite person of all time. Okay, Matthew 15. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. So this is a little bit further on in Jesus' ministry. And people aren't liking what he's doing. He's building a following. He's getting popular. He's got disciples. And so... The Pharisees and the scribes, and the scribes, as far as I understand it, were the people whose jobs it was to handwrite out the Old Testament from one version to the next, because um, they didn't have printing presses back then, so all writing was done by hand, and so their job was to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite the Old Testament, which would make them experts of the Old Testament, so they were meant to be experts of the law and to be guardians of the scriptures. Is that okay, Colton? Am I... Somewhat okay? Okay. Okay, sorry. I'm going to pick on you more and more over life. So sit in the front so I can read your expression better, please. Okay, so this is like an official delegation of people who um, take things seriously and who are not happy with Jesus and feeling somewhat threatened and unsettled by what he's doing and teaching. And they're hoping to provoke a gotcha moment. We're heading into politics, and you know reporters are just out there trying to ask awkward questions to hope that politicians will say weird things so that they can get their gotcha clips, and they can put their gotcha clips all over the internet, and we can tap on it and and then fume over this half sentence that somebody said. So they're hoping for one of these moments. That's how I'm reading it, at least. Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, oh, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Boom! So utter tactical nuke response. Um, they've come to accuse him of having dirt under his fingernails, and he reduces them to a pile of enemies of God. Can I get advanced forward one slide? Thank you. 
And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Quick little note on translation, something that's made me really laugh this morning, uh, this week, as I was working on this, is that there is an under-translation happening here, which is where the translators kind of choose to not say what they ought or what they should. Um, Because in that verse where it says, do you see uh, whatever passes into the mouth and stomach and is expelled, and there's this little note that says, in the Greek, it says, into the latrine. And so, and I went and checked it out, and it's true. And for like no reason, they took out the kind of potty, potty talk in here. And I think probably just for church use, because it's awkward to, um, to talk about that. But just so we're all keeping in step with what the scriptures actually says, Jesus actually said to them, um, don't you understand that what you shove in your mouth gets crammed into your stomach and then shot into the toilet? It's all in and out, and this is not what defiles you. It's actually just what comes out that defiles you. But just so we're all clear, it's really funny. And again, this is why you need scribes sometimes, because they just... They weren't thinking of Calvary Church when they did that. (laughs) They're thinking of somebody else. So we have here this story where there is a conflict about doctrine, and Jesus uses it to rebuke how people can sometimes create false doctrine or to insist on human traditions over the word of God, but he also uses it to reaffirm one of our basic Christian doctrines that if we fail to hold on to, we end up going into all kinds of wrong directions. And I'm hoping to unpack this, but I feel quite weak, and so I'm going to pray right now. Father God, I just want to confess, I feel like I bit off more than I can chew, but if you would be with us, you can make this really change people's lives. I want us to understand you. I want us to see how awesome your son is. I want us to have more faith in you and be more willing to accept what you say as the word of God, as it really is. And so, Lord, would you do a work in our midst? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, yeah, that's right. So here are some five thoughts that I'm going to use to try to just unpack this. And what I'm trying to do is just to remind us that the Holy Spirit was sent in part to help us accept the truth of God, to believe what he says, and to treat them as they really are, these commanding truths that, that we have to receive or else we're not in reality. And if we reject, we do it to, um, to the dishonoring of God and the harming of ourselves.
This is the faith. So, traditions or ideologies versus doctrines. One of the things that happens, and it's sometimes just over time, or sometimes it's because people don't want to obey, um, human thoughts and human ways of doing things can become more important to us as than, than what God says. And if you read Romans chapter 1, maybe, I'll, maybe we'll just... Nah, I don't have time. But if you read Romans chapter 1, the Holy Spirit writing through the Apostle Paul describes our time. And he describes our time as a time where the awesomeness and truth of God is actually on full display through everything that he's made. You look at the stars in the sky. We had this crazy event happen this week. I think this week, kind of was it the fireworks were this week? Yeah, our neighbors, we live in this neighborhood where people love fireworks. They go off like every week or two. It's awesome. And our backyard neighbors were shooting off fireworks. And we went out there as a family to cheer it on because some of us love it. And uh, so we went out and we're hooping and hollering after everyone goes off. And they're just Canadian Tire fireworks, but they were pretty good ones. And Right as the last firework went off, we kind of looked over to the sky, and it was night, and there was something in the sky, and like right after the fireworks stopped, the northern lights came on full bore, like the entire sky dancing. And so the Belfers were all like, wow, God, I guess you are a lot better at lighting up the sky than just we are. And it was this holy moment where we were in awe and humbled because we had just been cheering people with gunpowder doing stuff. And then you just realize, like, the whole sky is on fire. And we were just so humbled. And so, and, and God says, that experience is happening for everyone daily. If you're willing to see it. God has shown his immeasurable power and his kindness is in love in how good his creation is. And if we weren't so bent of heart, we would wake up each day and go like, this is amazing. Who do I need to thank for all this amazingness? And we would thank him. But between Satan and our broken sinful hearts, our natural bent is to try to suppress the knowledge of our creator God by worshiping other things instead, namely us. And that's called idolatry. But, and, and Paul goes to show like when humanity is in this broken relationship with the creator where we will worship anything besides him and we'll give thanks to anything instead of him and we'll think anything instead of having to just be a humble creature in the presence of an unlimitedly powerful and holy God. There's all kinds of brokenness that happens after that. We worship creatures. We become terrified. We defile our bodies sexually. We embrace sexualities that are obviously not how the human body is meant to work. And then we start to do all kinds of evils. And not only that, but we actually elevate people who do great evils. And it's really weird. If I did it, went out and I killed five people, I would be a murderer. But if I got a band of brothers and I killed 500,000 people and took over their country, I would be a conqueror. Strange, eh? You may have heard of, has anybody heard of Alexander the Great? Do you know what he did to get the name the Great? He killed a third of the people alive and he enslaved a third of the people alive and he ruled over the remaining third. 
Weird. 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 But that's us. And Paul's saying the, the problem is the heart is that we are bent towards trying to get God out of our brains. And we, we sometimes do it just by culturally and in communities embracing thoughts that make it impossible to think what's true. And so the issue in Jesus' scenario is so weird. And I know there's some different takes on where the background is, but it looks like it's something like um, Israel under the Roman dominion felt rejected by God or unworthy of God. And so one of the things they started doing is taking some of the priestly purity laws and trying to apply it to everybody. Like the priests were supposed to be super washing everything. They're dealing with uh, blood and guts. They're the butchers. So yes, these are like um, HACCP rules and wash your hands. And, and if you drop it on the floor, you can't sell it to everybody. You have to give it to Pastor Rob to eat, that kind of stuff. Um, but it's also in God's command. But I don't, like, to the best of my knowledge, I don't know if everyone's commanded to wash their hands. This was a priestly thing. But I think they were trying to think, well, we're in a bad spot, so why don't we just make everybody wash as much as the priests are supposed to? And then you do that for a generation or two, and, you know, you, you get whooped at home when you're not washing like you're supposed to because the rabbi said you're supposed to, and it becomes so ingrained into your life that you actually have this situation where um, the Bible guys are going to God to inform him how he's not keeping the rules. <laughs> Like the guy who invented the rules. They're going to him to say, you're, you're not keeping the rules? We're supposed to get that when you read the story. You're supposed to think, oh, these poor, poor, poor suckers. But it was a big deal. And all this cleanliness stuff is was a big deal. But it, it morphed and became... And they, they say it. You're not keeping the traditions of the elders. Well, aren't you supposed to respect the elders? Yeah, you are, but not when they're wrong. And not when they're over against Jesus. And so Jesus fires back at them with, um, with the words of God that they're, in order to like, Obsess about the hand washing, they're totally neglecting what God's actually called them to do. And so he re- reveals to them one of many situations where their traditions have gotten in the way of their righteousness. And it's so interesting to me that like, like what we can do, they've, they've thought up a theological way to not take care of people and still feel like they're the holy ones. Do you know what I mean? Wow, they, we have a, you're supposed to take care of your mom and dad in their old age with your money. Make sense, right? They fed you like crazy when you were a kid, and all you did was fill up the toilet, hopefully, and the diapers, so that you ate. They, they say nowadays it costs somewhere like between three and $500,000 to raise a kid. And you know what they do? They graduate, and then they, they leave, and they ask you to pay for their university, and then they, they leave again, and then they ask you to help them buy a house, and then they leave again, and you get nothing. You get grandkids, maybe. Can you watch the grandkids, you know? Oh, 
little Jimmy's puking everywhere and I got to go to work. Grandma. But they were setting this up as their holy religion. Oh man, this, this, these funds, this wealth that God's given you that you could do to take care of your mom in her widowhood, you can actually say, no, I give it to God. And then I don't know what you do. Do you keep it or are you giving it to the Pharisees? I don't know where it goes, but they set up this way that you could not take care of your mom or your dad in their old age and still And Jesus is so mad. He's so mad. He's so mad. And he says, you guys, you think you're so, you're, you think you're the, the, the real hot stepper? You think you're so great? You know what? You're so great. You fulfill scripture. You guys are fulfilling Isaiah. Aren't you excited about that? You guys are fulfilling Isaiah right now. That part where he's talking about people who are so convinced that they're the holy ones and they've never met me. Congratulations. And so there is this like, what do you, uh, yeah, I, I've made everyone feel really uncomfortable now. Yeah, <laughs> well, there you go. Some people love it. But there is this thing which I do think everyone should have a sense of holiness in the presence of Jesus that it is very easy to think you're the best thing that's ever happened to your local church. And Jesus thinks, you have never even met me. And it can often be an obsession with these little details that aren't actually a passionate confidence in Jesus expressing itself in life-changing love for the family of God. And which I think I'm also hitting on the empty theologies. Now, it's not just church life. And, you know, I... My life is a blessing, and, uh, and there was some trouble. I didn't grow up in the church, so I have less baggage than some people. I had more, way more sins and bondages to get over coming to Jesus than some people, but I did have some less baggage, which is great. If you grew up in the church, you probably dodged some bullets. But you are going to have to live that life of not imagining that Jesus is exactly like the church culture you grew up in, because he probably isn't. And for both of us, church and unchurched, the way forward is really just a humble desire to really know Jesus. And to be humbly good to the people around us. That'll, that'll, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Now, there are like outside of church ideologies that can kind of end up being cultural um, traditions of the elders that are in competition with the word of God. Someone really recently just boiled it down into four things. I'm going to try to remember it. I should have written it down. Uh, Gender, race, sexuality, and environment. These are these four ideologies that are controlling the age which people enter into in order to become uh, gatekeepers of self-righteousness. And there's a sentence with like an entire book behind it, but I'm going to try to unpack it. In Romans chapter 9 or 10, Paul is thinking about his Jewish brothers and sisters who aren't coming to faith. 
which is a bit of a theological catastrophe because they are physically the descendants of God and the descent, sorry, descendants of Abraham and God's people. But when Jesus came, did the Jews accept him or reject him? Yeah, they crucified him en masse. Not everyone. And then when the gospel came out to the world, did the Jewish people tend to believe or not believe? They tended to not believe. And so Paul in Romans 9, 10, and 11 has to think out loud for the Jewish people in Rome what's going on because someone could say, why would anyone believe in Jesus when God's people aren't coming? And one of the things he does is he says about them not knowing the righteousness that God wanted to give them through Jesus, being ignorant of this gift, they set up righteousnesses for themselves. And because of that, they're not being saved. And one of the things that happens is that if we don't know and believe the commanding truths of Scripture, if we aren't controlled by the faith that tells us we're righteous with God by trusting in Jesus as a gift, that righteousness need in us becomes an empty hole, and we start reaching for ways to fill our righteousness. And we always end up with some kind of idea or pattern of life to grant us self-righteousness instead of living off of gift righteousness. Can I just find two people who are tracking with me so far? So the Pharisees, their problem was that they were self-righteous people. And they went to the God of grace who was with them in the flesh in Jesus. And they told him, if you really want to be righteous, you need to wash your hands more. setting themselves up as the gatekeepers of self-righteousness. We get to judge. Are there ideologies or isms in our culture that say, between the relationships of men and women, you have to believe what we believe about conflict between men and women, Barbie movie, or else you are not righteous? Are there ideologies or three-letter acronym movements in our culture that says if you don't believe what we believe and try to fix the problem of conflict between people the way we like, there you are not righteous and you are unrighteous and we get to judge you. Are there um, alphabet acronyms that consider themselves gatekeepers on what right and wrong sexuality is, and if you don't follow along with their traditions, you're unrighteous and they get to judge you, but if you become an ally, they will grant you the gift of being able to look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you're righteous? Are there ways of looking at the environment and carbon, 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 that if you don't go along with what they say, they will think that you're villains and trying to destroy the world and kill everybody, but if you do go along with them, then you get to be considered righteous these are all traditions of our elders that do not submit themselves to the commanding truths of god did anybody see the apple video that came out recently so apple you know one of the most powerful companies in the existence of human history makes more money than most countries They put out a video recently that's trying to promote themselves as being, like, environmentally friendly. And the whole setup is that they have, like, the Apple executive, including the main guy, sitting at a table, and Mother Nature comes to judge them. 
She sits down, and everyone's like, oh, they're all nervous. Mother Nature's coming. Uh, what if she mad? What if she mad? And oh, we're saving the environment by all this water we're saving. And we're going to look at our new Apple Watch is carbon neutral. It's the same one we've made for the last 10 years. But don't look at that. It's the new one, and it's carbon neutral. And everything's balanced and zero. And they're all just telling Mother Nature. And Mother Nature, it's so funny. The thing to me is that when... They, when the people who wrote this commercial think about what Mother Nature is like, they actually imagine Donald Trump from The Apprentice. It's so funny, because I bet they think they hate him, but when they imagine their God coming to visit them, their God acts just like Donald Trump from The Apprentice, and he's like, oh, like, hmm, what about this, what about this, judging, 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 you're fired, and doing all that stuff. And of course, at the end of the commercial, Mother Nature's like, well... You're doing okay. See you next year. And all the Apple people get to high-five each other. We're saving the world. We're saving the world. And it is utterly just pagan nature worship. Billionaire style. It's just fear religion. And people proclaiming themselves the righteous in public for everyone to join along with. I'm the righteous. I'm the righteous. I'm the righteous. And because they will not accept the faith, they will not receive the commanding truths of Christ. They have no idea how lost they are. While they congratulate themselves for being the holy ones. I do believe in some degree in saving the environment, especially taking care of big chemical spills when they happen. But we as believers should also remember that everything we see one day is going to be reduced to its basic elements by fire at the return of Christ, and he is going to remake everything in a new heaven and a new earth, among other things. Now, one interesting thing that happens in this story is that Jesus really does not um, encourage the idea of having sermons for self-medication. There we go. Don't you guys like my messages? No, no, don't talk too much. It's a setup. It's a trap! Don't do it. You like my messages, and I like it when you like my messages. So when I make messages that you like, I hear that you like them, and I try to make the next one just like how you liked it, and, and everyone can be happy, and, and I say things that make you happy, and you say things that make me happy, so I say more things that make you happy, and everyone's happy. <laughs> but sometimes I might say something, and you might get offended, which means I obviously did something wrong. No. Right? Obviously. Everyone hated Jesus. No, stop it. <laughs> I'm working something here. Now, it's so interesting because the, the disciples are really sensitive to this. And they kind of pick up on this. They, they're attached emotionally to celebrity Jesus. And they want to absorb some of his status by being disciples of the chosen one. And so when they see that... The guys come along and say, you're not washing your hands. And Jesus just nukes them. He goes off the top rope, UFC. The guy is doing the the twitch thing on the ground that you know that there's been actual brain damage from the hit. 
and they're mad. And the disciples say, did you know that they were offended when they heard what you said? (laughs) And the very interesting line for me here is where it says, let them alone. Because one of the reasons why people fall away from confident devotion to the Word of God as it is and fall into traditions is because it's so much emotionally easier to fit in. It's so much emotionally easier to not believe the hard teachings of Christ. You you will feel less guilt by not believing what God says. You will have less heartache. You'll need to confess less sin if you just judge yourself by how everybody else isn't judging themselves. It'll be so much easier. And when the disciples come and say, can you just stick with the messages that, that, with the ones, you know where there's all the food left over? No, just just do the ones where everyone gets healed and everyone's happy and there's like the, the baskets of bread. Can we stick to that? We're very uncomfortable about the offense part. It's just like the reality is there's all kinds of gardening that needs to happen in the world. There's all kinds of movements that are not a move of the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of waves that are not the river. And God is going to pull the plug on it all. And lots of people are not going to be happy when that happens. So don't judge the message by whether or not you feel self-medicated. You've got to get to the point where, is it true according to God? Amen? Which leads me to picking fights versus promoting the faith. Or promoting faith. Thank you. The ball... It's definitely in the grasp there. You were on it. What's really interesting, and this is a time, especially for us onliners, um, he's discipling his disciples, and this is important. Jesus just nuked these guys, and and if if they wanted to, they could maybe just run with it, right? Let's go find some more Pharisees and call them hypocrites. Let's do it. Let's chase them down. Jesus is just giving them the kick in the teeth, and we're going to chase them down, hitting them, and it's going to be so good, and we'll take over this place, and we'll just... And Jesus doesn't teach his disciples to go around picking fights with people. He says, just, just like, look, leave them alone. Just leave them alone. Uh, the punishment for them being them is going to be what, what happens to them. They don't need you to try to make their life horrible. They're already living in the punishment. Your job is to keep going for the truth. You guys keep believing and doing what I call you to do. But there is, there can be this temptation, especially online. <laughs> there are whole like online ministries of just criticizing people. Have you guys ever seen these things? This guy at this church, followed by that guy at this church. And I always watch these things and I go, I know I'm next because these guys have like the Shemai ministry. Everybody remember Shemai when, when David was getting chased out of Jerusalem and Shemai was just following him, throwing rocks and cursing him. And there's some people who adopt that as their spiritual mantle and they're just going to follow people around throwing rocks at them. It didn't turn out well for, for him. But can I just say like, 
Jesus didn't show us in this story that we're meant to be chasing people down to rebuke their bad theology, but instead to be totally obsessed with living good theology. And last and finally, I've got a bit of time. The big doctrine that Jesus teaches is it's about the heart. And this one is one that we need to, to, to re-engage with, I think, in the church. I'll try to go back here. There we go. So in Jesus' scenario, there's, there's all this conflict about the washing. There's all this devotion to the washing, what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you can touch, what you've you got to wash this, you've got to wash that. So much of their energy going into it. And they come to criticize Jesus for his, his disciples' failure to hand wash. And then he tells them this thing about the food. It's not about the food. It was never about the food. It's about the heart. But he reaffirms this, this truth that God tells us that the source of all evil in the human world is the heart of humans. Okay? And this is something that only Christians believe. I think it was Stephen Westerholm said, one of the things that's surprising about the New Testament isn't just the talk about Jesus, but it is how unconfident anyone is about people fixing themselves. So much so that in Romans chapter 8, God actually says, without the Spirit, no person can please God. Without the Spirit of God, you can't even make God happy a little bit. And this is crazy. This is the problem. The worst thing that will ever happen to you is your own heart. That's where evil thoughts come from. That's where murder comes from. That's where slander comes from. That's where theft comes from. That's where brokenness comes from. From this thing. But our traditions of the time think that evil comes from everything else besides us. Right? There's all this gradation of skin color, and some of them attract more sin than others. And depending on which side you are, you think that this one's the more sinful, or you think that this one's the more sinful. But the reality is, if you have a heart, you need to get saved by Jesus. Some people think that one sex or the other is the more evil one. Like somehow testicles have more sin in them than ovaries. Or breasts have more sin in them than beards. People actually think like this. The problem is if you have a heart. That's where the problem is. Some people think the evil is in what? I don't know. Carbon. It's so weird that they pick on carbon. We need carbon. Trees need carbon. It's just an element. It's just sitting there on a periodic table, doing nothing. But we think if we can just kill the carbon, then we'll be saved. Not if you still have a heart. Because if you have a heart, you need Jesus to rescue you. And you can't make anything good come out of you until the Holy Spirit is in your heart. There's nothing you can cut off of your body or put into your body that changes your heart. There's no pronoun or label that actually transforms your heart. 
And this is part of why Christianity is so offensive, because it says that the problem is us. And if God doesn't save us, we shall not be saved. And nobody wants to feel like they're that out of control. Nobody wants to admit that we're this out of control. We want to be able to say, I've washed my hands. I'm approved by God. I've net zeroed, zeroed. I'm approved by God. I've allied. I've equaled. I've approved by God. And God is saying to us, only I can save you as a gift and it's received as a gift and it's maintained as a gift and you can't fix you. Therefore, we need the Christ to come and we needed him to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven and we needed him to come back from the grave to live as our righteousness and we needed him to send the Holy Spirit into us so that we could get a new heart. And that's what Ezekiel said. There's going to be a day where I'm going to take out that heart of stone which hates me and I'm going to put into you a heart of true flesh and I'm going to move you to love me and want to obey me from the core of who you are and it's going to be a gift and I'm going to do it in such a way that so no one can boast and no one can be proud and no one can say look what I've done but we will forever just say he is the one and he is the great one and Jesus has done it and the spirit has done it and the father is all and that is our true truth and this is the faith And we are called to live the faith and not deny it with our deeds and actions. Guys, we're going to pray. Let's open up our hearts to God. Holy Spirit, we are made to tell the truth who you are with our bodies and our thoughts and our words and our deeds. And so, Lord, would you so Make us true believers, humbly, servingly, brokenly, but so excited for what Jesus can do and what Jesus has done. Lord, would you refine our minds and refine our thoughts? Jesus, there's things that we've done to fit in. Oh, Lord, forgive us. And set our hearts free in patient courage. Father, there's things that we've done and started to believe just because it's easier. Jesus, forgive us. And help us to trust you with the truth. Father, there are doctrines that we've gotten into fights about, which just don't really matter. Jesus, forgive us and help us to be humble, spirit-filled servants of your people. And Lord, I pray you give us courage. Lord, you know that us as Canadians, we're so polite. And I pray, Lord, you'd show us the way to hold on to that care for other people, but learn to become radically controlled by the truth of God. And I pray, Father, it would look like really happy love. Just like Jesus. And all God's people said...
Amen. We should sing, and if you want to get prayed for, people will come and pray for you up at the front. If you need some private prayer, there is a prayer room on the side. You can grab your prayer person and head out into that room. Otherwise, let's worship the Lord.